0: Listening to Songbones Podcast, where we get to the real and go to the deep with grassroots singer songwriters. I'm Michelle McAfee. At the Brick Room in Ashland, Oregon, one foggy night in December, I played a benefit show with a singer songwriter I had never met. When John Elliott walked onto the stage, his smile filled the room and he lit up the entire place with his velvet voice potent lyrics, and disarming realness. The next day, in Alice DiMaselli's backyard studio, I had the chance to ask John about his life as a troubadour, his song crafting process, and what his idea of a perfect life would look like. But first, we want to thank Chickadee Remedy for sponsoring this podcast. If you have aches and pains, sore muscles and sprains, go to Chickadee Remedy for the best handmade, high-quality hemp salve you can buy. If you try it and like it, Leave Chickadee Remedy a review and automatically be entered in the monthly giveaway. Go to ChickityRemedy.com and welcome to episode 8. I am here with John Elliott.
1: I love that this is the first time we've ever had a conversation. <laughs> Is going to be this.
0: <laughs> Including last night on the stage. It wasn't a conversation. There were four conversations happening at the same time at the end of the show last night. So
1: Right, and it was scheduling this mainly. So that's not even a conversation. No, that
0: doesn't even count. <laughs> Thank you so much for being willing to do this.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. Um, so I know absolutely nothing about you. And <laughs> last night I played a benefit that you organized mm-hmm. for the Journey Home Foundation. Mm-hmm which I think is so cool because they reuse old buses and make them into tiny homes for houseless people to live in. Exactly. And I think that's phenomenal. So for those of you listening out there, check out the Journey Home Foundation. Um, I think it's .com.
1: Yeah, it's gone through a couple different names. It was also called Vehicles for Change or Vehicles for Changes, but uh, now it's Journey Home Foundation. And if you Google that and then you Google ashland oregon you'll get there
0: yeah okay Mm -hmm. cool so the first question i want to ask you who are you
1: (laughs) (laughs) wow how do you answer that question (laughs) i'm a i'm just a guy you know i'm a (laughs) i'm a human being on the planet i'm a member of the homo sapiens species uh i feel very confident in the knowledge that i am no greater or less than any other living being. And uh, it's taken me maybe longer than it should have to realize that fully and internalize it. And now that I know that, it's a game of figuring out, building up your own structures of then how to give your life meaning and importance to you, I guess, and try to contribute somehow to what's going on.
0: Right. Um, That's the best answer I think I've ever heard to that question.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's a little heady, but I mean, you know, I, the reason I, you know, I don't automatically just say songwriter, musician or producer or whatever is that while I do that a lot and love doing that, I think there's a danger in associating your identity with something like that
0: absolutely
1: yeah and and I also do other things you know and I want to do other things especially as I look forward to another hopefully 40 years on the planet I can't imagine it just being one thing Mm. so what did you ask who are you yeah Yeah, that that was I'm really stand by that answer that's exactly who I am yeah
0: that's a great answer (laughs) yeah last night during the show you played a new song and there was a moment where you were incredibly vulnerable on the stage. There was a split second where it felt to me like you had second thoughts about wanting to play the song. Mm. Or maybe you didn't, but I was perceiving like this very momentary emotional, like whatever was coming was strong. And then you played this song that most musicians, including myself, I think would be afraid to just speak speak truth like that crystalline you know like just that crystalline and do it in a way that is completely disarming I can't imagine anybody hearing that song and not stopping for a moment and really taking in what you said you invited everybody in rather than like a message going at people I was so taken by that Mm.
1: Thank you. That That's interesting, the way you ended that, because I, I think maybe the fear that you caught or something that I feel with that song, because it is, it is honest. It's called If You See Something, Say Something. That's the one you're talking about. Yeah, yes. and so it is what I see. So it is honest. Um, and it is new. So I don't have the, you know, as a songwriter yourself, the years of, I know people like this one. I'll play this one, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but... I, it's really tricky that line between being direct and being pointed and not working in the realm of metaphor and impressionism, but like just really blatant realism, but somehow also making it something that's inclusive or open to an audience. Mm-hmm. That's really, really, I, I think the hesitancy or the feeling of that moment was, still wondering if that song is doing that so i'm happy to hear that at least in your case it was because it's not my intention to preach at anyone or or i mean maybe confrontational maybe a little bit but not not in an aggressive way Mm -hmm. it's more like an engaging way hopefully
0: yeah i mean for me it, it completely came across that way oh great
2: Give me sun Give me love for everyone Make it hellbound, bent, and heaven sent When the working day is done And the evening has begun Make it hellbound, bent, and heaven sent And whoever I end up with When the whiskey's all been drunk She'll never get to see every side of me Cause I'm hellbound, bent, and heaven sent I am hellbound, bent, and heaven sent
0: I love that feeling of going to a show and having your heart and mind tossed open by the music when you least expect it. To hear an artist live that you've never heard and walk away inspired and moved is one of the greatest gifts music gives. I wanted to know where John came from, how he got here, and where he envisions the road taking him
2: next. Grew
1: up in Minnesota. Okay. Um, yeah, the heartland, and then I went to Illinois for school, and then I went to New York for five months and I couldn't hang. And I uh, went back to Minnesota. I don't know what I'm doing. And then my friends in Los Angeles had a couch. So they're like, come out here." So I went out there and then I didn't know what I was doing. I actually thought I was coming up here. is the true story. In my mind, I was gonna I wanted to do music wanted to do be a singer-songwriter I didn't know what that looked like I thought Portland and Seattle and previous travels that I had done were really cool places and felt a lot like home to me it's like Minnesota but on the West Coast Mm -hmm. the trees are familiar you know and so I think that was what I was thinking and then someone moved out of the house and so a room became available and then I basically lived in l a for eleven years, <laughs> oh minus two years that I lived in the car. There was like a two year period where I just toured around and did the car thing mm-hmm. and that's then right. I moved back to l a for three years mm-hmm. m- some arguably the lost years, and then mm-hmm. moved to the bay Area, and that's where I've been for seven years oh, okay and that's been a really i really uh I've had a great time there i love I've loved what The relationships and the uh, inspiration that has come from living there. I really like it. Nice. It's a challenging place. I mean, it's really amazing to me how much, how many impressions people have when you tell them that you live there right now. It's like they just, it you can see synapses firing in their brain about what is this guy rich? What is this guy, (laughs) what is the reason? How can he possibly... You know, and I guess I understand that. But there are a lot of people I know, really special, wonderful artist people that are making it work there one way or another. Mm -hmm. And it's just, you know, obviously, you know, you read these things on the internet that say, tech worker can't survive in San Francisco on less than $200,000 a year. And I'm just like, let me meet with this guy. Like, (laughs) what is he doing? I I have no idea how these people are piling up these sorts of budgets. You know, it's like, it's completely foreign to me.
0: Well, it makes me wonder different people's definitions of necessity.
1: That's exactly right. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, I mean, I existed. We're in a back house here that's, I don't know how many. This is probably, this is definitely bigger than my room. The room I had in San Francisco and I lived there for, five years was was smaller than this Mm -hmm. and had a lofted twin size bed and it was great and speaking of the the benefit we did the other night you know one of the reasons why this concept of providing homes in some way not affordable housing in some horrific new condo development but actually a place where people can live is part of that experience i mean i i I'm very privileged in a lot of ways, but when I moved to San Francisco, I was in a pretty difficult space in a lot of ways in my life. And this art space that provided me 70 square feet and a door, Mm. you know, really allowed me and an affordable rent, a very, an actual affordable rent, not like whatever, really allowed me an opportunity to put the pieces back together again and kind of get myself into a new place. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what the Journey Home Foundation is doing and some of these other groups that I've been looking into, it's that same idea that that's what people need. And I really, I mean, I'm not saying that I experienced homelessness in the same way that other people did, but I did experience how healing it was to have a door and a place that was my own. Mm-hmm. And also you know it's it's not just three months or six months you know it Mm -hmm. took me years in there and that's what I needed so other people that are experiencing addiction or whatever mental health challenges that they're having it's there can't be a clock on healing Mm. you know if it takes them seven years it takes them seven years but if they have a door I'm telling you, that door. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've told this story before, but when I walked, when my friend showed me that, it was a sublet at first, when she showed me that room and I closed the door and I was in that little space, but I knew that I was in there and I was okay and it was mine Mm -hmm. as much as anything can be anybody's. I was like, okay, let's one step at a time, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, I got this. And then I went and got like, a toothbrush. <laughs> you know, I went to Walgreens. Yeah. <laughs> you know.
0: Right on. Yeah. yeah. So we have L.A. in common. Um, oh, really? I did five years there.
1: Did. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, Where ha- was your
1: piece uh, of L.A.?
0: Well, the first two years was a little bit of a Cinderella story. I moved there. I had a publishing deal at the time, and so they helped me get an apartment, and I was just off of melrose you know oh, wow yeah you're in it the was heart sweet, of it yeah little apartment so yeah i felt like a queen my first year or two and then the contract ended um i fell in love with a bass player and moved into his apartment in what i call the war zone of hollywood right around the corner from goldfingers and oh, man. Uh, yeah, yeah. I lived in an apartment building up there for a couple years and then my last year in la i lived in beverly Glen canyon
1: Oh, that's nice.
2: Yeah, and this
0: sweet little studio kind of tucked back up against the hill.
2: What a crazy place that is.
0: Right? It's crazy. Um, I had, like, some of the most fun I've ever had there and also some very dark days there. Um,
1: If I could, I wish I could open my brain and just show you the number of images that flooded into it when you said Beverly Glen, you know? Uh, I mean, among them when I lived in the valley and was commuting for this office job, the only time I've had like an office job and I was doing the hour commute over the from the valley to Century City every day, Ugh. an hour in the car there, an hour in the car back, and you would try cold water and that one was weird. You tried Beverly Glen, but it was further away on the front end. Yeah, it's just, that is just such a massive... Massive, massive collection of tiny villages mm-hmm. spread across a desert.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it was a trip. Connected
1: by, it's all cars. I mean, it's all cars. It's changed. It's changed even since I was there. I mean, I left in 2012, and now they got the subway to the sea, and they've got, they're doing things that are making it more livable in that way. Your
0: musical experience there, um, was it largely solo experience? Were you collaborating with other artists or producers, other
1: writers? It was a combination of a lot of things. It was solo at times, and then in other times I had different bands, uh, different collaborators kind of throughout. Mm-hmm. I think in that, I mean, really beautiful, fruitful relationships and inspiring very inspiring, actually. When I think about those times, I mean, you can never get your twenties. There's nothing like the twenties, man. There, you're only twenty. You're so only your twenties. <laughs> it's just so ridiculous.
0: I personally wouldn't <laughs> want to do it over a bit.
1: <laughs> I wouldn't mind it. I'll do it. I'd do it again. I, I, I like where I'm at now. But, and you know, your question of who are you would have been hilariously different if you asked me when I was twenty. You know, mm-hmm. um, but no, amazing, wonderful. I mean, you're figuring out who you are. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So I feel pretty confident right now that the solo troubadour guy showing up with a guitar and playing a piano and sharing his stories and songs is where I'm meant to be right now. But I didn't know that then, or maybe that wasn't even true then. Mm -hmm. So you just try all kinds of different things. And sometimes I'll listen back to... Recording from the rehearsal space or something and I'll just be like wow, man There's no way I could do that now I've I think too many things about Mm -hmm. You're just trying stuff out, you know, yeah, another thing that was tricky I think as we got older was it became clear to me that I wanted to make a career out of this
0: Mm, That's a whole different thing.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. and uh, an ongoing project and I think a lot of the people I was collaborating with in different ways, it wasn't quite in the same way. Mm-hmm. And another thing is, you know, some people are comfortable with being a songwriter or a creator in collaborative contexts where, you know, it's like I just got tired of playing the same songs over and over again in rehearsal. Mm-hmm. And I got tired of having the, set lists have to be a certain thing i just like to do my own thing mm-hmm. and that just became more and more i mean the only way i've ever been able to make the money work is by myself mm-hmm. i i don't know how bands do that i have I a either. tremendous degree of respect for the bands that are basically a family that live in a van
0: absolutely
1: I, I i don't know how they do it they also are have to be different people because if i don't have long periods of time alone between the gigs i would go insane i mean that's like when i recollect my energy
0: yeah i'm like that too when i write when the songs when all the creativity comes through it's when i'm solo Mm -hmm. so yeah i understand that yeah when songs do come through for you like do you hear them in your head ahead of time or when you write do they come through with every chord with every word in the present moment
1: Mm, it's not really like the second one. It's more like, well, okay, so the let me th- think about that. If, it's different every time. Mm-hmm. The If You See Something, Say Something song, I had the idea for a song based on that phrase. And I'm trying to remember how that came down, but I think I wrote the lyrics... 1st I'm pretty sure I just wrote the lyrics mm-hmm. and then I yes I did and then I took the guitar out and then sang them to that and you know I'll play through it once and kind of sing through it and record it mm-hmm. and then listen back and realize the parts I like and the parts that can be revised mm-hmm. and it's a process of revision sometimes though they do come like a song a melody or something will come and I'll, there's this old song of mine called Give Me What I Want that I just remember for weeks walking around. This is when I lived in Venice and I would just walk around and I would just go,
2: give me what I want.
1: I just heard this thing over and over and over again. I had no idea what else happened. I kind of knew the chords, but uh, sometimes it comes, I love the phrase, the way you say that, come through, because mm-hmm. that is what it feels like when it's actually happening in that way Mm -hmm. there's an element of craftsmanship though that the older I get the more I I've been enjoying uh and maybe it's it part part of it I think is this like sobriety kick that I'm on like Mm -hmm. there's I never was a big drinker but I I definitely was a friend of um marijuana at times and i I'm I'm not doing any of that anymore and it causes this like consciousness to the creativity that at first was a little scary like maybe the magic won't maybe somehow the drug can release you into a magical space and now it has to happen in this very intentional way that at first was scary but now that I'm rolling with it it's it's really cool it's like you're actually in there building a house or something you're like Mm
0: -hmm. In that yeah. moment does it feel different writing a song sober versus on weed? Does it feel more crisp or you know when you were writing on you weed know was Not, it blurry or is, there, is yeah. there any difference within the process or No it's or the no? same
1: process it's okay. still me and a guitar and a thing on and me just a lot of times it's me just improving words and then listening back to them and writing around that. Mm-hmm. Um it actually is the same process. It's just that you're not high, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I mean, really, it's that simple. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Right on. So you're doing this as a career. It's not always easy. And sometimes it just takes one thing to get you over the hump, you know, to get people to take you more seriously in the greater mainstream world of music. Um I'm curious, did you have any of those pivotal moments? Did you have a song that broke through anywhere? Hmm.
1: Um, well, my the, that would be a, a gift from Los Angeles. The, the moment that made me feel like, you know, because really you're, at first you're just playing for your friends and your family and Stephen King, the author Stephen King has a great thing that's like no one is ever going to congratulate you for writing a book or (laughs) writing a song. I mean, no one's like stoked for you that you did that. They're more than anything, they're kind of pissed that you did and they didn't, you know? (laughs) So that's the challenge of when you're young and it's like the people around you are just kind of would rather you not, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, so, um, but then I had a song that was on TV that got on Grey's Anatomy at the time when that was like the hip Oh, yeah. Before it was in season 98 or whatever it is now. And so that exposed the music to a larger audience. And then strangers were emailing me, and it was through MySpace at that time, messaging through MySpace, encouraging me that they liked the music. Mm-hmm. And so that, I wouldn't say that it led to like mainstream success. It's not like suddenly I was playing sold out halls or anything but mm. it gave me the confidence to feel like I could reach an audience beyond the one that was just right at my fingertips mm-hmm. and yeah
0: do you think that that is still informing your career right now or did it have a shelf life the yardage you gained from that success
1: oh that particular one oh that's a good question I think it's got a shelf I think that had a shelf life yeah, I mean, I, they still show that episode, so people still discover that song, and it leads to streams, mm-hmm. you know, but not... That's a good question, actually. I don't know. I mean, the, those things are kind of... When you record something and you and it goes out there, um, you don't really know. It just releases, and it's just out there. You don't really know who it's connecting with or how. Mm-hmm. So...
0: What does your dream life look like in your mind now? Oh like, man, what? this is what? a tough.
1: We were talking what? about this the other day. I, It's a tough one for me for some reason.
0: I think it's a tough one for all of us. Like to yeah. really get real and say, oh, this is what I want my life to look like. I mean, it's hard for me to have that kind of precision clarity. I like leaving a lot of things open.
1: Because of the nature of the this discussion, it makes me want to answer that question in terms of the music career but I'm more inclined to say that I'm more inclined to be real humble about it and be like I want a safe place to live I want to feel healthy and happy inside and not all the time sometimes you're not happy but generally content or appreciative for what I have and have my health for as long as I can and people around me that I love and who love me. Mm-hmm. I think that is most important. And then everything that comes from that, creatively and in terms of business, of music and everything, would be great, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, really it's and then as far as the career's concerned, it's like what I love to do is go to rooms of various size where people will quietly listen to my songs for 90 minutes you know that's what i love to do and more and more i'm getting the opportunity to do that and i would just like to continue to do that more consistently and in more places and i love working i mean if that's the job and that's the work i love that work i will do that a lot Mm -hmm. uh So the more that I can welcome that in, and you know, it doesn't have to be the size of the space can vary and the size of the audience can vary. What's really cool about the solo acoustic troubadour thing is you can do that for 30 people. You can also do it for a hundred people. In fact, there's a certain point where you hit a ceiling and it's not even, it doesn't feel quite the same. You kind of put out this energy and it bounces around and
0: well, it loses the intimacy. Yeah. Tell me about the
1: tour that you're on right now. Yeah, so this was an idea. Well, last year I did a show in San Francisco around the holidays that was a benefit for Food Runners, which is an organization that takes excess food that uh, grocery stores and restaurants have, and it collects it and delivers it to people in need.
0: Oh, cool. that's cool.
1: Yeah, great, great organization. And we. I just got my friends together, other musicians I knew, everybody plays short sets, you know, three songs, four songs or 15 minutes or whatever. And so it's just this buffet of experiences and performances. And yeah, we raised money for the organization and that was great, but it was also this really great December cozy gathering and it felt inspirational beyond each of us individually doing our own thing. I felt it last night. I mean, it was like mm-hmm. I, getting to hear everybody play and do their thing is wonderful. It's it's totally, a, and it's a different experience than carrying the weight of your own show.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah. So somewhat, I don't know why I didn't realize this would be so much work, but uh, I got the idea to do it as a tour this year, and which has turned out to be, really wonderful but also a lot of work i mean i should say and also a lot of work it's like coordinating with everybody being communicative with them as best as i can finding an organization that feels like the right one and the venue uh it's a learning process for me you know and and I and so that has been part of it uh but it's been the last they've been great and every each show's been different and really um Really great in its own way. A specific example is the Sacramento show was for Sac Safe Space, which this woman Kimberly runs. And for one thing, she was saying everybody assumes that that's her job. You know, it's not her job. She has she has a job. She works for. She's like a professor at the community college.
0: Oh right. So she's just
1: volunteering to create this thing. She's not paying herself a salary from it. And so that's number one and then number two we hand her the cash at the end of the night I'm like I hope this helps in some way and she's like this I will take this money tomorrow and I will buy 20 tents and 20 sleeping bags and on Tuesday they will be distributed to people wow and that was cool It that just felt so tangible it was <laughs> like and it was it was equally tangible and also a little sad in that Wow, that's what we can do—is give people tents and sleeping bags right now. Yeah, and it was cold in Sacramento and rainy that night. Yeah, you know. Um, but I love that. That's just a great. That's very tangible. It's very real. It's, it's what is it today? It's today it Tuesday? Oh no, tomorrow. Yeah. That'll happen tomorrow. Okay. Tomorrow, those people will. No, yeah. Today's Tuesday. Today's Tuesday. Tonight, yeah. Those wow. people will have those tents and those sleeping bags tonight. I love so that's that. That's cool.
0: It's so easy. The way the world is right now at least for me, to get um, this feeling of overwhelm of like, how can I possibly do anything? Or how can I make a difference at all? And it's a really good reminder, like we don't have to make the big difference you know we each don't have to go save the world singly but all these little things matter you know just yeah like,
2: and it doesn't have to be a big thing
1: no it doesn't it, it, and that th- i think that's really important yeah, and i if, need to get that through my head because i ended up having big expectations for oh, something me too. yeah
2: yeah
0: yeah yeah would you play a song for us yeah yeah sure I'd Love that.
2: I don't like the girls in San Francisco the girls in San Francisco don't like me wherever I have talked about and traveled wherever I am going I will be I have been ferocious and forgetful I have been so broken And so bored Wherever I have been I'll be again, love I am wherever I am moving toward I can give up I can give up I can give up on my dreams Whatever I got It was worth it, whatever I thought it would be, time to get over it, time to let it leave, time to be here now, love, time to be here now. I want to promise purpose and precision I want to promise poetry and prose I want to promise love will last forever But it never has and everybody knows After love is what we have to capture lying in a stillness soft and white patience in the chaos of creation silence in the seance of the night i can give up i can give up i can give up on my dreams whatever i got It was worth it, whatever I thought it would be, time to get over it, time to let it leave, time to be here now, love, time to be here.
0: How long have you been touring? How long have you been...
2: Hmm. I guess
1: I would say, that's funny to think about that in a number, 2006 is when I would mark,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, that's when I, I set up a tour that summer and got in my car and drove and did it. Mm-hmm. So that's 13 years.
0: Okay. Have you noticed um, any changes in America? Whoa in that time hmm
1: i was thinking of that today as i was driving here because i was thinking i was listening to uh, this fancy rental car i have has the satellite radio so i was listening to cnn talking about the impeachment thing and i was thinking about how that's what's on the radio and the president is the president that we have right now and i was thinking i was just i really had this clear thought it all feels dark and ominous and criminal and when Obama was president did it feel better just because that was the narrative and was it actually better or did it just feel better Hmm. and then when I started touring it was Bush you know and Mm -hmm. that whole thing was going on and what did that feel like It's like I almost wonder if the answer to that question is it's more about your perception and how you feel than actually real, reality.
0: So like on the ground, going from town to town, interacting with audiences all over the country, that hasn't changed
1: much? I don't think so. I mean, 2006 is before the iPhone was invented.
0: Now that changed some things. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I mean, that changed (laughs) how it certainly changed how you get to towns and... Uh, how you promote things and I think it's changing the way people interact with each other and the world man for people that have been around longer I mean I just wonder what that must be like if know, you were really. doing it in the 80s and 90s it must just blow your mind Yeah. Uh, but yeah I, I, on some level there's something about it that is completely unchanged for thousands of years you know, it's a, it's a person showing up and it's the, it's the thespian on the outskirts of town doing his show, you know, yeah. I mean, on some level that is just always, that's timeless.
0: I love that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I hope that you will continue to take your music and your voice to the world and to all the towns that will have you, please book him. He's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks. Please Michelle. come back to Oregon for oh, sure. Oh, I love
2: it. You, you um, man,
1: Oregon is such a special, beautiful place. I. One of the things that I, I wonder about is that you know, inevitably, inevitable. It seems like it's inevitable that you that a, a person like me would eventually have to leave the Bay Area, and so maybe that's not true, but if that is true, I wonder what's next. Mm -hmm. And Oregon, because of its proximity and my friends here, and I mean, it does, it reminds me of the upper Midwest. It feels like a place that that might be. And then I immediately, on the heels of that, it's like, are people just gonna hate me because I'm just another guy that lived in California that came to Oregon? You know.
0: I think we're. I think everybody's <laughs> starting to get over it. Yeah. you,
1: know? I, I, we, well, you gotta I mean, accept us at some point because well, we all got
2: the. The reality
0: is that there are a whole bunch of us who came from somewhere else. Right. You know? Exactly. I mean, right. I, I've met some people who were born and raised here, but I've met more people who have come in from somewhere else, and some have been here longer than others. And right. I think where Oregon starts to kind of get hung up on it is there tends to be big influxes all at once Mm -hmm. um and i think that in the past has been challenging for the state to absorb but i don't know it just seems like at some point there was a tipping point with portland just becoming this radically well-known city and the place to go to i don't know i think we're lightening up a little
1: yeah (laughs) yeah that's true it it also feels like i mean the cat's out of the bag on that so That little that change has happened. Same thing in Austin.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: That that, that's happened. So now we're here, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and we'll see where we go from here.
0: Sounds good. Are you interested in doing one more song before you go?
1: Yeah, the the what the other one I was gonna play is a bummer, so I don't. We'll do it. if I want to end on the bummer, it's
0: up to you. It's totally your call.
1: Mm.
2: Americans I'm scared of them I'm wary of Americans their foes and friends are over them they are wearing thin. Suburban malls on exit ramps in hospital halls. Do not look close, do not ask why. Try to get home safe. Kiss your kids good night, children on their way to school. In a distant land under different rule a bomb descends kills all of them and the bomb was made by Americans Americans I'm scared of them I'm wary of Americans their foes and friends are over them they are wearing thin the Americans Germany 1933 a proud and free democracy A loud man came A loud man lied We know what happened next The loud man died Empires rise And empires grow Empires fight And empires slow Empires fall In empires, and in the history books of Americans, Americans, I'm scared of them. I'm wary of Americans, their foes and friends. Are over them, they are aware and thin, the Americans.
1: Thanks for having me, Michelle.
0: Thank you. Thanks, John. Thanks for coming on Songbones. <laughs> yeah, Songbones. the Songbones podcast.
1: How when is Songbones founded?
0: On the new moon in twenty eighteen. So wow, fresh. Just just coming up. Yeah, we just passed one year mark.
1: Cool. Oh man. Dreamed up, so. I'm glad to be on it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Yeah.
0: Thanks for hanging out with us and listening to episode eight of Songbones Podcast. You can subscribe to Songbones on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like our podcast, please click like or the heart button. A simple click makes a huge difference in the universe of podcasting. For more on John Elliott, go to his website, thehereafterishere.com. Or check out his feature on our spotlight page at songbones.com. And don't forget our groovy podcast sponsor, chickadeeremedy.com when you need an effective salve to tame your aches and pains. See you next month.